Welcome to Unsung Heroes with Johnny, Daniel, James, and Sam. Our goal is to leave no hero unsung. Welcome, everybody, to episode one of the Unsung Heroes podcast. My name is Johnny, and I'll be the host of this series. And I'm joined here with a few of my friends. So we have James. Hey, hey, hey. We have Samuel. Hey, what's up, guys? And we have Daniel. Greetings! And uh, yeah, so uh, the goal of this podcast is to leave no hero unsung. That is our purpose. That is our reason for being. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> Preach it. And so the way this is going to go is each episode, a different one of us is going to share about a different unsung hero from history, somebody who we think deserves more credit. And then at the end of the podcast, we're going to write a song, record the song, slap it on at the end, so officially they will no longer be an unsung hero. Beautiful. Love it. In that way, we will leave no hero unsung. Wow. What a goal. What a goal. Yeah, it's going to be great, guys. It's going to be a great journey. Um, I'm glad for all of you listening here. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, if if you guys enjoy anything you're you're hearing, please give us a review. Uh, tell tell some of your friends and family about this podcast. Uh, we're really just a bunch of amateurs, so we would really <laughs> appreciate uh, appreciate you guys doing that. For yeah, us. why don't you tell them, Johnny, where we're recording right now? Uh, we're, we're in a closet. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got some of my sweaters surrounding us. Yeah, great, great sound nice. studio, you know? Just yeah, high setup. production value. Very much so, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Uh, so yeah, so why don't we kick it off just with us, uh, telling a little bit about ourselves, uh, James? Yeah, my name is, uh, James Gilbert. I am currently doing my master's in archaeology, and I am in the same location as Johnny, so we're actually recording together, uh, but the other two guys, of course, are not, so... Daniel, why don't you share about yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel. I am from Turkey. That is my fun fact. I yeah, he's work... our he's our resident Turk. Yes, <laughs> yes uh, I am I'm the in-house Turk of the this true podcast. Ottoman right there. Every podcast has one these days, man. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, it's all the rage. So either that or we're starting a trend. That's true. Yeah, I, I like so. that I think too. You're right. From yeah. now on, all podcasts have a Turk. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and I, I live in South Carolina, not too, too far from Samuel. Is that my... That is, is that your Samuel, yeah. yes. oh, That was a go. pretty okay. subtle hint there. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> yes, I couldn't see you wink, so... Oh, that's um, well, I'm Samuel. I am all the way up here in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, I guess I am the, the local literarian. Uh, if that's a word, yeah, actually, I guess sure. I should know. Yeah, you're, you create. I'm the literarian. <laughs> Only you would know, Samuel. Only. You. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm as the literarian. I'm dubbing it a word. So. Oh, is that what literarians Ooh. do? I don't. Yes, they make well, up. They they. That's officially... what this one that is. I guess. All right. Well, you know what? I'll go like with it. it. Let's just let's just go with there that. There you go. Good. good. So now, from any time from now on, you can basically make up any word you want to, and we have to. That'll go make with my it. episodes pretty interesting. I guess I'm all for it. That- I like I like I, it. I feel I like, like none of us will understand you. <laughs> You'll just be well, making up words. It's been twenty years in the making, so yeah. No, I'm just kidding. There you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, this episode we're going to be talking about uh, Mad Jack Churchill, um, and and really quick, I just want to mention we're going to be talking about different unsung heroes in history. And what we're going to try to do is make it kind of diverse. Each episode about a different person, maybe even a different type of accomplishment, uh, whether it be science or medicine or in war or something like that. And we don't want to focus too heavily on World War I and World War II because, well, um, there's just a lot of heroes from those eras. And I feel like... It's very saturated. Yeah, it's very saturated. A lot of people talk about those those two wars and it's either two things it's they saved a lot of jews or, or they killed, killed a lot, lot of nazis, nazis. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right and, and there yeah there are a lot of people who did those things which is awesome but that you know it would get a little stale if that's all we did every single week so right we, yeah <laughs> um so as a general rule we're going to try to stay away from world war one and world war two that being said mad jack churchill who we're talking about today actually was a world war ii hero uh, himself. So we're just going to get World War II out of the way 
break the break the first rule on the first episode, pretty much. That's good precedent. I like that. I yeah. <laughs> Um, now, I, we know what you're wondering. Why would you guys do this? Why would you make a rule and break it? To be honest, we have no idea. <laughs> we, are, we are doing this as we go. So. Yeah, it, it just means the rules don't really mean anything, I guess. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's rule number one. <laughs> rule number one, don't follow the rules. No, All right. no let's, Wait, not, wow. let's not advocate that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that just creates a paradox, so it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> it really does. And then we go into... Welcome to our philosophy podcast. Uh, yeah. uh, today we're talking about paradoxes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, so by the way, uh, we're going to be doing a new episode every two weeks, so uh, stay tuned every two weeks. We'll have new episodes up. And so this week, uh, the one of us presenting is James. James uh, is more of a historian than the rest of us, more of a history buff. <laughs> At least, just, just a little bit. Yeah, just, well, a, just a tiny bit. Yeah, definitely more than me. I, I don't really know actually that much about history. So I guess I'm a, a king of beggars in this sense. So. <laughs> what, are you, uh, what are you saying? None of us? us are. Okay, never mind. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, why don't we just let James take it away? All yeah. right. Well, guys, I am very excited to be finally presenting uh, this man to you because he is quite the eccentric individual, and I honestly am nervous that we might not be able to get through all of the things that he did in his life in the time that we have been provided. But I assure you it'll be quite the ride, and you might leave being somewhat uh, dumbfounded, impressed, and also slightly disturbed by the escapades of just one man. So... To begin, uh, his full name was actually not Mad Jack, or <laughs> his parents did not name him Mad Jack Churchill. His name was John Malcolm Thorpe Fleming Churchill, and he actually was born in 1906 in Colombo, Ceylon, which was a British colony in what is now modern-day Sri Lanka. So, hmm. uh, like many of us here, he was born in a country uh, that was um, pretty far away from his homeland, so he was the eldest of three sons. And his father's name was Alec Fleming Churchill, who very early on was made director of public works, and his family moved to Hong Kong when Jack was aged four, at the time still a British colony. So real real quick, let me just butt in here, James. Uh, by the way, James mentioned that, like most of us, he, he was born in a separate country. Uh, we, just that's a little information, we were all born in random countries. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, subtle, we mostly grew up in Central Asia where we kind of all became friends. And so now we're back in the States. And so that's kind of our yeah background. And I yes. thought that was kind of fun. I, I think, honestly, part of Jack's life, I think a lot of his personality perhaps was really due to the way he grew up. And I think really growing up overseas in this way did have a profound effect on his life in the future. So I found some fun connections that I really enjoyed. And I think you guys will like seeing here in a little bit. Um, but yeah, so he actually moved to Hong Kong when he was four. But then by 1917, this is at the onset of World War I, uh, he moved back to, or sorry, onset, this is actually towards the end of World War I, he moved back to the, uh, the Isle of Man in England when he was about 11. And so from then in 1926, or uh, until 1926, he'd gone to the Dragon School, to King's College, and he later graduated from uh, Britain's premier Royal Military Academy in Sandhurst. Wait, wow. dra Dragon School? Dragon. Yeah, I'm stuck on that too. <laughs> Wait, what do you, I think you lost us. It, it, it was legit, okay, it's a school. I mean, what do you, is it What do you, what do, you do? Dragon, what, I don't understand. It's such a cultural thing. We're like, what, what? what? Dragon Do school? they teach you how to train your dragon? <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Okay, please. Sorry. All right, well, let, let's get, <laughs> Get out. Get out. <laughs> um, yes. And so he actually then went to uh, Britain's premier Royal Military Academy in Sandhurst, which is just southwest of London. So growing up, I'm assuming he had a lot of exposure and was very aware of what was going on during World War One. which knowing him later, I'm sure he was very eager to get involved uh, militarily. But after he graduated, guys, in 1926, he eventually joined the 2nd Battalion in Burma in India. And it was during this time that he won his first military medal and he... Uh, got the Indian, Indian General Service Medal with the Burma Clasp from the Burma Rebellion of 1930 to 1932. So there was some small minor rebellion in the region. He participated, got a small medal. This was kind of the beginning of his military career. <laughs> but what I think is awesome about this, guys, is while he was in uh, India, he actually motorcycled across almost the entire country. Wow. Uh, he, he really wow. loved riding on his motorcycle. And this is kind of a trend that continued way into his um, older age. But he loved to ride motorcycles and to test cars. So, and so he got on a motorbike and traveled all the way across India 
And the only thing that stopped his tr- his trip was by running into a water buffalo. <laughs> and <laughs> what? <laughs> like like actually crashing into one? Yeah, no, no, yeah. He, he's riding in a motor. <laughs> like, I kid you not. He's, he going across India, and he's just made it like a super long way. And then he just runs into a water buffalo, and he like kind of has to call it quits at that point. So wow. I don't know I mean, any details think, beyond that. I think I would wow. call it quits after running into a water buffalo. In the, in the journey, <laughs> in the journey of every great man, there stands a water buffalo. So. <laughs> really, what is what is the water buffalo in your life? <laughs> it's kind of defined him. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys seen water buffalo? Those things are massive. You oh know, I gosh. actually don't really know. Like, I, I mean, know. I know what they look like, but they're, I don't. I mean, they're really, they're really big. So to be it's honest, like, <laughs> this guy sounds like a travel vlogger at this point. <laughs> <laughs> if, if he lived today, he would be like a vlogger, but during a war, like just highly insensitive. Just sounds, yeah, that sounds a little insensitive. Yeah, it's a little insensitive. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, so <laughs> moving on. Uh, motorcycle across India. Did a lot of different things, of course, in his life. Um, in 1932, Jack actually returned home. And I think based on what I could find, this is when he started taking up archery. So uh, Jack... Just Wait, so, the, so when you say home, do you mean like England? Yes, or, okay, yes, yeah. of course. A difficult question for someone like him, but yes, home. Far away from the water I say home now. Right. right. Yeah, he's got he get... basically ran as far away possible <laughs> from the water buffalo. He, he was scarred for life. <laughs> so, so he goes home, right, and he starts taking up archery. And during this time, like any uh, he gets person. back. <laughs> yeah. Right. In 1934, he joined the Second Manchester's um, Division at Strensall near York, and eventually he was continuing in that. But apparently, he got tired of military life, and in 1936, after just uh, about 10 years in the military, he resigns from his commission temporarily. Hmm. And uh, his friend later on said he suspected it was because he was bored, and also because he didn't get a promotion that he really wanted. <laughs> the funny story is that apparently, um, he'd also begin taking up bagpipes at the time. I'll tell you about this later, but he really loved bagpipes, and he got really <laughs> good at playing the bagpipes. But yeah. one time, he piped at one of his superiors at 3 a.m. in the morning <laughs> when he was walking back to the guardhouse. Which <laughs> he piped at, piped at him? <laughs> yeah, I, that, that was the phrasing that his friend used when he described the story. But <laughs> Hey, you piping at me? You piping at me, boy. <laughs> Stop your piping, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, really, like, he... So apparently that put him in, like, bad standing, but also huh. when he was taking a test, a military test, he studied the wrong set of materials on accident for an exam that pretty much ended his chances at a quick promotion. So oh, I think no. at that point... Uh, yeah, you, know, you know when you invest... It's like a sitcom moment. Yeah. <laughs> just wait. <Okay. laughs> you know when you, like, invest a lot into something and then you just get totally ruined and you're kind of like, man, I'm done. Like, I'm just yeah, not going to... story of my I life, just, dude. Not to put too much into this. It Sounds all like failed. some people's lives. <laughs> Here's a story, though. Here's a story, guys. When I was, like, seven years old, um, I did Taekwondo. And did I say that right? Taekwondo? Taekwondo. Ta- taekwondo. Okay. <laughs> when I, I did Taekwondo and I got like through a bunch of, you know, white belt stuff. I was a little kid. And then one day my mom was like, hey, James, you have Taekwondo tonight, but we have an event going on. Why don't you just stay home? And, you know, it's just some kind of test they're doing. It's not really that important. And I was like, okay, fine. That sounds fine, mom. I'll stay home. And then the same day, my friend comes home from the class and he has a yellow belt. Oh, no. I kid you not. I lost out on my yellow belt. And I was like, no, I'm done. So I never did Taekwondo again. (laughs) Top 10 anime uh, betrayals right there. It was like the day... Yeah, right. <laughs> I still don't let that down. Like, my mom still knows to this day that I, I'm very bitter about that. But um, St- he it, still hasn't gone back to. <laughs> he still is in there. In a similar fashion, of course, Jack nice. left the military. But during this time, he became really close friends with a guy named Rex King Clark. Now, I actually found a book or a memoir written by That's Rex a King dope Clark. Dope name, dude. That is kind of Rex a... King Clark. That is a cool name, dude. The dynamic duo think, of Mad uh, Jack and Rex King. Right. Rex King Clark. <laughs> no, really, the these guys were a duo. I mean, they were they they had a lot of incidences together that were really cool. But he got good friends with Rex, and Rex actually wrote a, a book uh, way later on after Jack had passed away, um, and he wrote it for Jack's wife. And he basically chronicles a trip that they took together all across Europe. And in 1936, so this is after Jack has resigned, um, Rex was in the military at the same time, but he'd gotten injured in a plane accident. So Jack was basically like, hey, while you're on leave of absence, why don't we just go travel like the world together, basically? <laughs> um, so while he's on medical leave, they traveled everywhere. And this the story that Rex tells about their life, I think is a really cool look into Jack's personality, but also just some of the things they would get up to that were really interesting right before World War II. So first they went up to Scotland 
And Jack, of course, being like really into bagpiping, would often stop and serenade women along the way. <laughs> like so many times Rex was like, you know, we stopped in this village and we found some some girl at some house and we like asked her if she'd listen to Jack play the bagpipes and they would like dance, you know, do the Scottish dancing and all that kind of stuff. And they would play the bagpipes. I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Wait, and, I, I can't imagine trying to serenade somebody. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's like more the like the least romantic. It's more like you would pipe at them, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, baby, you have a pipe Yikes. Oh, man. Yeah, no, seriously. So he would go and serenade people along the way, and they traveled. Uh, eventually, they decided to go to Europe. And so, or, I mean, they were in Europe, obviously. Well, <laughs> somewhat. They were in Europe, but they decided to go to Paris first. So they went to France, uh, and they went to travel through Paris. That's in Europe, right? <laughs> yeah. Said last, somewhat. Last I mean, that's time pretty I checked, seriously. Well, I was time. referring to Scotland, which, you know, anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, We're not yeah. talking about politics. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oof. That's anyway. A complicated so, thing. <laughs> they they first will go through France and then they eventually go into Italy. And on their way to Italy, uh, they stopped and explored a shipwreck. And basically, Jack sees this shipwreck right on this off the coast while they're traveling in the south coast of France. And he climbs onto the shipwreck just in the water, and then he gets out his bagpipes and plays a song of lament in their honor while he was no no while he was completely naked. <laughs> of course he did. Did he? I, have I don't to know add the that? mentality here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. His, his friend is like, dude, no, you, you can keep your clothes on for this one, man. Like, yeah, beautiful this song. song, dude, but do you really need to take yeah. your clothes off? I mean, how do you how do you bring a bagpipe but not? <laughs> oh, oh my man. gosh! So yeah, so he gets on. I mean, that's just one example of just Jack just had no chill sometimes, and he just loved doing crazy things, and he had no fear. Like I, you know, I, I think there was something about Jack that. I don't know. I, th I think he just didn't care about fear. It was like, why do you have fear? Like, just get over it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> why do you? Why? Why do you? Yeah, anyway, so that's one example of what they did. So while they're going on their way to Italy, they eventually make their way to Rome. Um, and at one point, as a funny story as well, they're stopped by the proprietor of a restaurant who sees them wearing kilts. And he, he's like super excited. He says, hey, guys, come on inside. And he gives them free drinks. Um, basically, because he had a movie poster in his restaurant of a Scottish Highlander wearing a kilt. Like oh. he sees that he sees that poster and he says, "Hey, you guys, like you're Scottish, aren't you?" And they're like, "Well, you know, not really," because he actually wasn't Scottish. He just loves Scotland. But he brings him in there, gives him a free drink. Um, another thing they did in Italy, they go to Mount Vesuvius, and at that time they had a lot of tour guides who would give you tours up Mount Vesuvius, but only to a certain point. But Jack, of course, was like. No, I'm going to the top. Like, I'm going. <laughs> so he tries to convince all these tour guys to take him to the top. And finally, one is like, okay, I'll take you up higher. So he goes up as much of the mountain as he can in his kilt. <laughs> and he keeps going. And eventually, there's, you know, like, it gets really dangerous up there. And he can't go any further. But he w just had this idea that if anything stands as a challenge before me, I'm going to overcome it. Hmm. I mean, another example is they're actually on the island of Capri off, off Italy. And Jack had heard the story of several soldiers had on this island when they were invading during a war had tried to climb this cliff face on the island there. And he said some of the soldiers had died in the attempt of doing it. So Jack was like, Rex, let's go do it. Let's climb the cliff. <laughs> and so they go and climb the cliff and they couldn't get any higher. And apparently Jack was super bitter about this. He was like, golly, like I really wish I could have climbed this cliff. But then later they found out that it was actually a set of like stairs that were built into the cliffside in a different part of the island that they'd actually <laughs> oh, climbed on. Oh, so no. he was like, oh, it's fine. You know, we, we didn't have to do it then. You know, there's no issue. Um, Jeez. Wait, wait. So you're saying the people who had tried it earlier yeah. had used stairs? Stairs, yeah. And one person had fallen down the stairs and died. And it wasn't actually the cliff face that had caused <laughs> that, them, that oh, Jack yeah. tried to do. <laughs> so like Rex talks about how Jack's ego was like, you know, pretty much... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's, He's like, like oh, no, it's okay. You know, no, I didn't, I didn't climb the cliff because no one else did either. Yeah. You know, He's like, like, what, those stairs over there? No, nah, they, they probably climbed the cliff. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> stairs, cliff. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So, yeah. And again, I could go on and on about all of their adventures together. But eventually, um, because of rumors of war and things going on with the, the onset of World War II, they decided they needed to head home. Uh, and during these couple next couple of years until 1938, Jack did several different things. But one funny thing, uh, Jack was a model at different times in his life. Um, he actually was a male model. Apparently, Rex said that he was always very concerned about his appearance. You know, he would comb his hair and always make sure he looked just right. Um, he also starred in a couple of films, uh, silent films at the time. One of them was called The Thief of Baghdad. And oh. I did some digging. And this film, my goodness, uh, Daniel, you would love this film, man. It's just... <laughs> 
You know, everyone wearing turbans and like you okay. know on camera. Oh, right. It's, like, oh, okay. it's the most. Why would, why would Daniel like? That? <laughs> yeah, I'm what are you suggesting? <laughs> He's a resident on, Turk. Man. This is why we have. I, I might have. I might have ridden my camel here this morning, but that doesn't mean <laughs> you can assume. No, but that. really, it's it's like the most like Orientalist, just overly stereotyped movie oh, ever. Which yeah. is really funny, yeah. but like like the British view of the of the yeah. Asian world. Of oh, the time. absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure a post-colonial theorist would have just a you know, a blast with this movie. But anyway, <laughs> the reason they got him on this movie is because he um, he was really good with a bow and they needed guys to be like, you know, bow and arrow shooters as extras on the show. So I actually, I couldn't find him. I looked at the movie several times and I couldn't find him in the crowds of all the people on sets, but I'm pretty sure he was in there just as some kind of like, you know, attractive like young looking guy with a, a bow and arrow. Yeah. He sounds like the type of guy who would be a stunt double, not, <laughs> not yeah, 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 yeah. He really could have been, so, honestly. So James, I have a question. Um, yes. How is it that this guy managed to get himself into all of these different situations? Like this is, it's honestly kind of ridiculous how many it's different, <laughs> how many different situations he got himself into. Again, it's hard to say. Like he had this love of adventure and he loved action and he had no fear. And plus, I think his upbringing, he was just a very internationally minded person and he just loved traveling. I, I, it's hard <laughs> to say. I mean, yeah. all of his friends talk about just him kind of being like, a lot, you know, like I, I think at the, <laughs> so I think it was lot. like his, maybe the end of this book that Rex writes about him in his honor. He says like, I wish we had more people in the world like Jack, but maybe not too many more people <laughs> like Jack. You just need like, <laughs> maybe like 50 more people just like Jack. Just a couple, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just sp spread them out over the world. Yeah, like, don't yeah. put them all together. <laughs> just keep themselves safe yeah. and just yeah. Yeah. And he, it was sides. funny, even Rex even mentioned like, I mean, he, he loved his friend, but he even talks about the fact that one of the problems with Jack is that he was so fearless that he almost wasn't sensitive to his troops because he almost thought that everybody should be just as fearless as he was. Mm. He didn't get it. Like, he didn't understand that people weren't as crazily brave as he was. So <laughs> uh -huh. that comes to play later on in his life. But yeah, we haven't um, even got to the I know. World War yeah, stuff. we're, we're yeah. almost there. Like the but here, yes, here, here comes the, the, the big stuff. So, 1938. He placed second in the officer's class of piping championships. I'm kidding. <laughs> he, he did, but that's not the big thing. Anyway, he, he actually Jeez. won second place in a piping contest, and he beat out a bunch of uh, uh, competitors who are almost all Scots. And this was kind of like wow. to the surprise of indignation of many people. They were like, okay, wait a minute. Like, you're English. Why are you playing the yeah. pipes? Wow, that's like, that's like you guys beating me in a baklava competition. You know? <laughs> okay, yeah. Our baklava is more Turkish than yours. <laughs> No, it's really funny though. Like he just, he loved Scottish culture. I don't think it was like a, a kind of mocking, condescending attitude at all. He just really, really loved um, Scotland and that came to play later in his life as well. But yeah, so he won a piping contest and in 1939, this is, you know, early on, but he's also selected for the British team for the Oslo World Archery Championships. So kind of as a preclude, of course, to what's coming in the war, he's very good with the bow and arrow. And he's very good at the bagpipes. <laughs> Both of these, wait, as how, I just said. Wait, what? <laughs> you will what, see. What, are going to pipe at the Nazis? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, okay. Um, okay, so basically his friend Rex kind of goes through as well some of his, um, his escapades during the war. And he basically outlines five different things that were really significant during his time uh, in war. And I, I would probably agree, these are probably the five things that he did that are the most uh, well-known. So first, we'll start off uh, the first kind of thing that he did during the war. So in 1940, uh, Jack was placed second in command of the 4th Infantry Brigade with the 2nd Battalion, and he participated in the Dial Plan, or it was called Plan D. And this was a campaign designed to assist the French in their halt of the German advance through Belgium. And basically, you guys know Dunkirk, right? Yes. Uh -huh. So yeah. th this was kind of leading up and coming into Dunkirk when the, they were retreating through France. Germany's invading France, uh, going through Belgium, and everyone's just trying to retreat. And you know, it, it wasn't going well. We've always maybe you guys have seen the movie that came out recently. You know, we we have some familiarity with Dunkirk, but he was actually a part of this whole campaign. So he was retreating at one point from his position near Brussels, uh, on the way to Dunkirk, mm -hmm. when his company. Commander Tommy Woolsey was injured, which left Jack with Tommy Woolsey. Yeah, Woolsey. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, he, he was Woolsey. he was injured, and that's made Jacks was uh, then in command of the company during this retreat. Oh. So he's on command, and on May twenty seventh, they're holding this small town called. Le Epinet? Is that how you say it? Le, Le Epinet? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Show Johnny my notes here. Like, is that Le Epinet? Anyway, um, 
<laughs> so a guy named Donald Featherstone writes in a book called The Bowman of England. He says that uh, during this this holdout in this town, that uh, Jack climbing into the loft of a small granary um, saw some 30 yards away, five Germans sheltered behind the wall, but in clear view of the granary. Captain Churchill lifted his bow, took careful aim, and loosed the shaft to see his arrow strike the center German in the left side of his chest and penetrate his body. <laughs> Dude. Oh, Dude. Man. What? He killed a Nazi with a bow and arrow. Christopher <laughs> Nolan should make a prequel to Dunkirk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just call him Mad Jack. No, really. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think this, this could be wrong, but I think that this is the last confirmed bow kill. Of like any war, of any like war. Oh, yeah, oh wow! It's, it's incredible. I mean, because again, tons of witnesses were there. Um, there are variations on how exactly the story took place. Some say it was, you know, he hit him in a different spot of the body. But regardless, it seems pretty clear that he was shot. And also, Rex says that uh, he was actually involved in this campaign at the same time. But when Rex found Jack, he was on the beach at Dunkirk and. He sees Jack come up in his motorcycle. Oh, of course and, he's in a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> and this is probably more of a military one. I'm thinking. He didn't leave it with the buffalo, <laughs> the, the bison, or whatever. So he writes that he runs into Rex again, or, or Jack does, and Rex describes that he comes up in his motorcycle with his longbow strapped to the back of the motorcycle, <laughs> and then he has uh, with him like a helmet of the Nazi that he actually killed. I think he took the helmet as kind of like a oh, memoir dude. of the event there, Yeesh. and. Uh, what it, a way to show up, man. Yeah, yeah no, it's weird. It's, it's funny. Just, but honestly, at the same time, though, I think part of, like, I mean, imagine you're you're retreating and you see one of your guys take out a Nazi with a longbow. That's and gotta, then, that's gotta and be then good. get on a motorcycle. That's got to be good for morale. <laughs> on the like, other side. Yeah, just imagine, like, you're one of his, like, fellow soldiers and you just see this guy pull out a bow and arrow and just shoot a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, it's well, crazy. It, okay, imagine you're a German... And your friend gets shot with a bow, or with, with an arrow, like an arrow in the chest. You look over and a guy on a motorcycle is like just riding away. Okay, I don't think that's exactly how it happened. <laughs> You're like, what the heck? <laughs> what kind of people we fight in this war? I know. Right? <laughs> anyway, so um, he and Rex both get out and they are evacuated during the Dunkirk evacuation and they arrive safely home. Again, this is very early on in the war. A, a really amazing story. The whole Dunkirk the whole Dunkirk escapade was just incredible. I mean, not, <laughs> escapade. Yeah, it's an escapade for Jack. Maybe not for everybody else, of course. But um, yeah, the experience was obviously um, profound. And I think many people after that would be like, okay, I made it safe. I'm done. But uh, Jack was not that kind of person. I think this was probably just a little taste for him of what he's was like, to come. He's like, Dunkirk? That was nothing. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. This Dunkirk? Okay. More like more Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> More like start curve. Okay, I'm gonna move on. Anyway. <laughs> so, anyway, um further on we know that in nineteen forty one he married his wife uh in Saint Augustine's church. Um Rosamund. Of course Rosamund Churchill was her name eventually, and uh she was married he was married in March. And then after afterwards, I think that same year, unfortunately enough, his brother was killed in combat. Mm. So that was one really traumatic experience that he did have to go through at the time. And then also in the same year, 1941, however, Jack continued to go and be part of more um, more missions. So in 1941, uh, Jack was part of a military operation in Vagsoy. It's a Norwegian island, and this is off the west coast of Norway. So uh, people don't usually realize this, but the Nazis actually controlled several islands along that, that area, even up into Norway, even though they um, the situation in Norway wasn't quite like, you know, the rest of mainland Europe, mm -hmm. but still on the 27th of December, uh, he led troops from the number three commando on the small Island of Malloy. And basically what they do is they're, they're rushing <coughs> this Island to try to take it back from the Nazis. And as he's charging forward, he's blasting his bagpipes <laughs> to the tune of the March of the Cameron men. <laughs> and so, I mean, just imagine this crazy Highlander. I mean, he looks like a Highlander wearing a kilt, running down the beach, just <laughs> blasting the bagpipes. Wow. Uh, and the song, the song is just great. I mean, it, it's just your classic Scottish bagpipe song. It, it would just be so inspiring to me personally, you know, maybe it's something in my blood, but I have some Scottish ancestry. So I think oh, that would yeah. just be, so again, connect. morale. I, I think, yeah. I think more, it has an effect on morale, honestly. And, yeah. Their surprise raid, you know, blasting bagpipes, the surprise raid was actually pretty successful. And eventually uh, the whole island they were they were raiding uh, was taken without much difficulty. And this helped secure allied positions in the region. And they eventually captured and destroyed a bunch of German guns and supplies. And uh, it, it, again, it was a very successful campaign. But the funny thing is that while he was celebrating kind of their victory, Jack 
had a bottle of wine. And apparently the story goes is that nearby an explosive charge detonated. And while it detonated, it shattered his bottle and a piece of it stuck in his forehead. Um, but he garnered a lot of publicity like like in back in England from this event. And uh, people would always talk about, oh, wow, you're so brave, injured in battle. And eventually he said about his injury, uh, I had to touch it up from time to time with Rosamond's lipstick to keep the wounded hero story going. <laughs> <laughs> so he would apply like lipstick to make it look like it was a fresh wound. <laughs> make it look like yeah. a fresh wound. <laughs> Jeez. I love it. He was a really funny guy. He had a really good sense of humor and he was just, yeah, just pretty lighthearted kind of person. But that's a good story I really enjoy. So again, we have we have first the situation near Dunkirk. Then we have him going to Norway. So this guy is just going all over the place. Um, and then... <laughs> In 1943, Jack wanted more. So he goes and he joins the uh, Salerno assault on Italy. So essentially the allied forces, you know, when they're coming south through Italy, um, there's a big area, a region called Salerno. And he was placed in charge of the number two commando. And he really loved to run commando raids on German positions with his units, um, often capturing dozens of prisoners at a time uh, by the tactics that they would employ. But on one particular raid, this is just this is an amazing story. So on September 15th, he is making a raid on a German position in a valley near Pigoletti. And he took his sword and he ran ahead of his men and just took one of his corporals with him. So we have two guys. This is at nighttime. They're sliding into this village that's occupied by the Germans. And they're building trenches there. So essentially there's a bunch of artillery guns, a bunch of German troops there who are building trenches under the cover of darkness. And these two guys go and slip in. And according to Jack, again, this was, you know, corroborated by other witnesses. There are some pictures of them there prior to the actual night this happened. But he goes in there and surprises two German sentries. You know, they come on, they have their guns. They say, you know, stand up, get up, What you know, just how you capture somebody in general. I don't know how it goes. I haven't done it before. <laughs> Wait, so the the German sentries are capturing Jack? No, no. Jack oh. is Jack is sneaking up on the German oh. position, and he okay. takes two sentries, right? So what he does is he puts up his gun and hangs it around his neck. He had a little lanyard holding his pistol, and then he drew, drew his sword and kind of placed it behind the German soldier's back and then uses him as a meat shield as he goes around and secretly oh. <laughs> he goes into trench after trench. <laughs> Not, don't, not meat shield like he was taking fire, but like he's just using him kind of as cover and he goes into trench after trench where there's small groups of Nazis and he surprises them and subdues every single one of them <laughs> until he rounds up over 42 prisoners oh my and a bunch God. of guns what? and artillery equipment. Just for- so get this, he two guys go and capture 42 Germans on their own <laughs> and you said, with a sword. You said he was with carrying a sword. A sword. <laughs> He was. Yeah. He always carried a claymore. It wasn't like a two-handed claymore. It was like an arming sword claymore. Um, oh, so it was, yeah. it was a smaller one. But I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. If it's okay, one-handed. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. One-hand, two-hand. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so he later describes... I'll, I'll give you a quote that he actually gave when he describes this. He says, I always bring my prisoners back with their weapons. It weighs them down. I just took their rifle bolts out and put them in a sack, which one of the prisoners carried. The prisoners also carried the mortar and all the bombs they could carry and also pulled a farm cart with five wounded in it. When we got back, I fed them with our men as if they were another troop and then sent them along with the prisoners and other troops that that we had captured, about a hundred in all, to the rudimentary POW cage, which is virtually empty. The splendid Huns, many British called the Germans Huns, that's back from World War I still, but the splendid Huns settled down to sleep after setting up their mortar with the bombs around it, carefully piling their rifles. (laughs) I was told afterwards that the next morning they got down keenly to cleaning their mortar and their rifles after the night's dew. When the elderly dugout who ran the the empty POW cage appeared after breakfast, he was riveted and found it full. What's going on? He complained to McGreary, who roared with laughter. (laughs) And Jack says, I maintain that as long as you tell a German loudly and clearly what to do, if you are senior to him, he will cry, Yawol, and get on with it enthusiastically and efficiently, whatever the surrounding situation. <laughs> that is why they make such marvelous soldiers. <laughs> wow, what a diss. <laughs> it's like yucks, man. Mind <laughs> games, dude. Seriously. He, he, so, again, it's just a funny, funny picture in your mind. This guy with a sword just taking 42 yeah. prisoners, <laughs> putting him back in a cage. <laughs> and then the waking up the next morning, the guys who's in charge of the POW cage is like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> so wow. he was awarded the Distinguished Service Order for his achievements, and he played a great part in helping secure the position for the Allies. So again, this just kind of shows you how absolutely fearless Jack was. Just the fact that you run at night into a German position with only yeah. one other person, and you're able to do something like that. I mean, that takes 
Incredible Honestly, courage. And of course, yeah. So you know the, who the real unsung heroes in the situation would be the guy that went with him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I would say it's yeah. like... Yeah, because that guy actually feels fear. <laughs> <laughs> he, actually, he actually has an idea of what's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, man. Anyway, so for time's sake, I will continue to move on. But in 1944, uh, Churchill then participated in the McLean mission in Yugoslavia. Okay, so <laughs> you know the uh, all the fronts in World War II and all the theaters of war? Yeah. Uh, East what? and West? Yeah, Jack yeah. was there. I mean, he was at all. <laughs> yes. 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 I was I was just amazed. I mean, this guy really has been everywhere. But yes, he also went to Yugoslavia. And on about uh, June 3rd in 1944, Jack was assaulting the island of Brak with Yugoslav forces while trying to help them defeat the Germans on the coast. So apparently one night, Jack led an assault force on a hill trying to claim this hill. And he's leading this charge of men forward up to this position while blasting his bagpipes. <laughs> Again, of course. I mean, it, it should be a given at this point that if Jack is running into battle, he's blasting his bagpipes. So, but when they're going up this hill, right, their force got bogged down under extremely heavy motor fire or mortar fire. Sorry, motor fire. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they got motorcycles too. <laughs> vroom, vroom, eat my smoke. <laughs> Quick, get mortar the water buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, get the. <laughs> Get the allied water buffalo. <laughs> oh my God. So here, this is an, a crazy story. So apparently while they're just getting barraged constantly on this hill, um, just totally, you know, the mission was a total failure. Jack's still alive and he turns over on his back while they're lying there helpless and he begins to play a bagpipe song called Will You Know Come Back Again. It's just a classic tune. I, I, you guys need to hear this tune. But <laughs> while he's playing that song, they get hit by a volley of grenades and being like one of the very few survivors, uh, Jack just sits there in a complete daze and while he's sitting there, he gets seized by a bunch of German soldiers. So he actually gets captured at this point. Oh, oh no. no. Right, and you'd think, okay, that's- Where was his sword, man? Or his <laughs> motorcycle? <laughs> and right, and you'd think this would be like the end of his his escapades, but no, no. Uh, this is what happens more. next, right? The plot He gets thickens. interrogated, he gets interrogated by Major General Quebler, a German division commander who swore- that this guy had to be related to the Winston Churchill. Oh, because <laughs> oh, his name was Jack Churchill. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was really confused by this. So I did some digging and I found some census information. And apparently there were 730 Churchill families living in London alone. And this is about 19% of all the recorded Churchills in the UK. Oh, and geez. London had the highest population of Churchill families in 1981. So this is a survey from 1980, or sorry, 1881 that I found that basically shows that there were tons of Churchills. So why this commander yeah. thought that he was Jeez. related to Winston Churchill, I do not know. I mean, yeah. I don't think this German commander at the time had the same research as you do about how many <laughs> yeah, right. Churchill He's like, families wait, in I, London I remember existed. the 1881 survey. Where... <laughs> yeah, like he, he takes him back and he's like, I, I, this guy's related to Winston Churchill. And he's like, bro, do you know how many Churchills there are in London? <laughs> in London alone, there's like 700. <laughs> Seriously. I, I imagine it was something like this, though. He was like, ah, you must be related to Churchill. He's like, no, of course I'm not. He's like, that's exactly what someone related to Churchill was saying. <laughs> <laughs> and so he then sends him to Berlin for interrogation because he just he wouldn't believe him. Oh. Um, but again, before this happened, though, I think the saddest part is that Churchill then had his bagpipes and sword confiscated. Oh, so, no. <laughs> Dude, they, oh. they took away his power. Man. It's like Samson. <laughs> Samson's hair gets cut, loses all strength. Oh, no. Churchill loses his bagpipes. It's like, what do you do? <laughs> um, but what, one cool story about this before we, we talk about his time in Berlin and in Germany. While he was being held prisoner in Yugoslavia, he had a German captain in charge of the POWs. Um, his name was Hans Thorner. And actually, Hans was apparently a really nice guy who treated prisoners very well. So Jack became friends with the man and was really grateful for his help. So he wrote him a letter before he left to Germany, telling him to come visit him in England after the war was over. Like, I mean, we have this letter wow. today. Wow. I have it on the screen what in front of me, actually. But he basically says, like, hey, you know, really appreciated that you treated us and you fed us. And I hope that after the war we can meet again. He gives him his address. You know, he's like, here, I live on this street. Come have dinner with my wife and I. You know, <laughs> it's just, wow. Wow. It's, it's a trap. It's no, amazing. <laughs> okay, guys, but, but here's the cool thing about this. This letter later saved Hans's life when he was tried as a war criminal by the Yugoslavian court. Wait. Yeah. Wow. So wow. after World War II, he was tried in a Yugoslavian court as a war criminal. Wait, the Han Hans, Hans was. Hans, yeah. And he basically, you that letter 
helped vindicate him in a way. So that, oh. that basically saved his life later on. Wow. And I, I think they actually later met again, but it's just a really cool story of something so inconsequential actually goes a long way to change somebody's life. So I thought that was a really cool story. Wow. Save your letters, wow. guys. So the next time we're in war, <laughs> the next time yeah. we're in war, we, we need to make sure to befriend everyone we can, Yeah, right? treat, treat your prisoners well. <laughs> that, that's the real lesson here yeah. today, guys. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Anyway, so he goes to uh, Berlin. He's interrogated for a while, and pretty quickly these guys are like, okay, this guy's obviously not Winston Churchill's cousin, okay? Like, he's not related to him. <laughs> so they send him off to uh, Sushen, Sushenhausen concentration camp. that It's hard to pronounce. Anyway, but he goes to this concentration camp, and the thing is that he was not here long. After one month in September in 1944, he and several officers in the camp dug a hole under a fence and managed to escape. And while he was escaping, he sprained his ankle. And so he was kind of kind of injured running away. But eventually he's captured again in a town called Gustro. And then he's sent to another camp in Tyrol, Austria. So gets out of a concentration camp, captured, sent into another uh, one. It's because he it, didn't have his bagpipes. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then, get this though, in, in 1945 in April, he escapes again. When the floodlights one Goodness. night in the camp broke, Dude. and he just walks out. So Wait, you know, you know how in all the movies you see concentration camps, right? And they had the big floodlights, kind of monitoring yeah. the fence and everywhere in the camp, oh, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So those things broke one night, and he just walked out. Like Wait, he just so without the lights, wow. the doors are unlocked. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. It's like our lights aren't sure. working. <laughs> the, the lights are off. Might as well open the doors, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but apparently he just walks out and manages to escape. But, okay, the area in Austria he was in was very close to the border of Italy. And at that time, Italy would have been a safe haven for him. And so he knows this. So basically, he travels all the way up through the Alps, scavenging food and stealing vegetables along the way to survive. And he makes it all the way into Italy, where he finally is saved by an American recon unit. So he finds American forces. America. And he said he says he was so exhausted that he couldn't really say anything to them. He just looks like some, you know, haggard, crazed soldier just kind of screaming <laughs> at these guys and just out of breath. But he said eventually he gave a salute, the you know, very, very British like, salute. And these guys were like, okay. Yeah. yeah that's a universal symbol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't shoot him. <laughs> it's a really funny story. Um, but yeah, so he gets out, you know, he escapes from two different prison camps. And when he gets out. Okay, again, if this was me, I've done a lot, right? I've done amazing things in the war. I've been all over the place. Oh, I just got wait, out of oh, prison. Oh, you're saying if you were Jack. I thought um, you were just Jack. Yeah, I got right. confused yeah. a second. <laughs> like, what wait, were what you did in? you do? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're saying, you're thinking what Jack is thinking. Yes, about. yes, of course. If I, if I was Jack, I would probably think, okay, I've just been in two concentration camps. I'm going to call it quits. But no, he basically wanted to get back into it as fast as possible. But the, he was the really... The concentration camp or the... <laughs> the war. The war, okay. <laughs> what do you think, Johnny? <laughs> it's like, man, when those floodlights went out, it just wasn't the same, man. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, he was really upset that he missed out on the action and was unable to get a promotion that he really wanted because he really wanted to be in charge of his own commando unit because he loved Deja doing vu. commando runs. But knowing that the Japanese hadn't surrendered yet, he decided to try to fight the Japanese in Burma at the time, which is what some of the war was going on. So he tries to go to Burma, but on his way, uh, this is when Nagasaki- A water buffalo. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the boat hits a water buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, the atomic bombs are dropped in August 1945, and the war in its entirety is over before Jack hmm. could be a part of it again. Oh, like, like Hiroshima. Yeah, Hiroshima. Yes, Nagasaki. yes. Yeah, yeah. And so, actually, this is the cool thing. He goes to Burma, and this is actually where his friend Rex, again, the, the epic-named Rex Kling Clark, is actually here. And he's re reunited Ooh. with Jack again at this point. And while they're sitting together, I think they get a drink, and they're sitting together, and and Jack says this kind of, you know, of course he's joking, but he's like, but if you know Rex, Rex if it hadn't been for those, and I quote, damned Yanks, we could have had the war going on for another 10 years. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this guy has a problem. I, I certainly hope he's joking, but it just shows you yeah. some of his character. He just Jeez. did no fear. He has no chill. Yeah, you know. And I think especially our perspective nowadays, when we look back at the, honestly, the terrors and horrors of World War II, you know, we're mm. always talking about just how we never want this again. And, and Jack just kind of goes against the grain. He's, he was just like, man, like I wanted to get back into it again. He just, he I don't loved. know. I don't know like how commendable that actually is. I like, don't know. Maybe <laughs> this is Unsung Villains podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
unsung yeah. complicated people. Yeah. <laughs> unsung, we're all fallen. Yeah, that's no, right. I mean, I think, that, that's, I think that's extremely, like, raw of him, though, because, you know, he's we see him as a hero because of all these great things he's done because he's fearless. But because of that, he also has a part of him that wants more of this conflict and war, which he thrives it's in. It's interesting. So. Yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, he thrives in... Mm-hmm. He thrives in this. Yeah. It does bring up it does bring up an interesting question of at what at what point does fear become a commendable characteristic? Yeah. Because yeah, I, I feel know. like some of this is just reckless at some points. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's almost true. like that's he, he's like I've been this reckless so far and it's turned out fine. So yeah, I'm not I change guess, anything. I guess <laughs> good for him. <laughs> yeah, I know it kind of worked. I mean, and the funny thing is that again, part of his mentality. He later said that he wanted people to just see what he did and be fearless and help raise morale. He thought it was a very effective way of being better and doing better in the war for the allied cause because by doing crazy things like, you know, running commando missions at night, uh, using a sword, playing the bagpipes, that almost gave people such a morale boost that it actually does have a a pretty profound effect on how people are able to fight. Um, Mm. And, you know, when you're just as crazy as Jack, he's just the kind of person who does it. So again, again, I, I think he was joking, but it's still a good question to ask, like, is there a point at which war becomes addicting to some people? You know, I, yeah. I, you, you can talk to some soldiers. I think it definitely does, yeah. It's an well, interesting question. It's even because, yeah. like, people who go through war and, you know, perhaps have something like PTSD or something, um, you know, it's hard for them to get back into their normal lives. Yeah. Like, they can't mm-hmm. just go from this high-intensity combat right. to just, oh, I have a job in an office now. Like, it's, oh, you yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's a really jolting transition. And I think that's a great way. I don't want to, you know retroactively psychoanalyze Jack. But I think there's something to be said about the fact that he craved adventure and almost was addicted to it. And I think mm-hmm. he can never let that go. Because yeah, like, how do you just find a shipwreck? <laughs> I've, I've never I've never even been in a situation where it, that's a possibility. Guys, like, uh, we need to go find a shipwreck at some point. Yeah, like, what are we doing? Just go sail <laughs> what are we doing? Go around get, Italy or something. And then something. get in the nude and play the bagpipes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no>, okay. <laughs> All right, James, yeah. we'll, let, we'll let you do that one. It does show that, you know, because of his fearlessness, he's such a cool guy, but I feel like it proves that fear is a necessary part of our lives because that's what holds us back from, you know, <laughs> committing atrocities, sometimes, honestly. Because yeah, yeah. like, I feel like with, with policemen, you know, they have to get tased before they can get certified or whatever because you need to feel what it, what it feels like to get tased in order to taste someone. It's kind right, of that right. idea of, like, you need to be aware of the fears and the consequences of something before you carry it out. But right, if you have right. someone like this guy who doesn't care, mm-hmm. he gets addicted at to the it, same, so. At the same time, I kind of get where he's coming from in a place where probably fear was just everywhere. It probably was refreshing for some soldiers to look at this guy and be like, oh, yeah. here's a guy who really just doesn't mm-hmm. care about fear at all. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, from what you look at, That's his, true, yeah. a lot of his work, I mean, I'm sure he's he was forced into some really rough situations, but a lot of the time he was just trying to capture people. And he seemed to treat prisoners as well also. I mean, he seemed like yeah. an amicable fellow who really wasn't there to just... That's true. Like, he yeah. wasn't he wasn't overly violent, it doesn't sound like. I don't know. I don't get that impression um, from him at all. And he, in fact, he did a lot of things that were very honorable. And you'll see later as we talk more about some of the things he did. He did a lot of very honorable things in hard circumstances. But, you know, I, I think about, like, you know when you play paintball and there's just this rush of adrenaline and excitement because of that like just the, the idea of like being in combat it's obviously emulated and it's very minor compared to actual yeah, combat right, but yeah. imagine the thrill of combat minus the terrible consequences of war right yeah and i think that part of it sometimes is addictive for people despite the fact that war is terrible and they're aware of that it's like this thrill of just the adventure the danger the excitement that can really be addictive and i think that was jack like i think he just craved that kind of yeah. you know he's, like an, yeah. he's pretty much an adrenaline junkie just, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you know before yeah. before skydiving was really a thing <laughs> actually speaking of skydiving um <laughs> did he, wait did he go skydiving <laughs> are you serious i didn't even know that <laughs> so after world war ii he went home and got his parachuting license at the age of 40 uh, <laughs> of course he did. and so he at the age of 40 he did his first um parachute you know flight Jump, like, yeah. yeah jumped out of jumped out of a plane you know so yes skydiving wow. was so also he really was a, an adrenaline junkie <laughs> this guy literally <laughs> wow if i was, think 
This guy's yeah, serious. I think like, it all... if, if he could have vlogged at the time, man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what <are> they, <laughs> some good stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yes, again, he goes home at the age of 40, does some things like getting his parachuting license. He teaches some of the military academy in Scotland, and he actually uh, transfers over and becomes a commander of a Scottish regiment there. So again, showing his, his, his really appreciation and love for Scotland. And uh, let's see. That then, okay, 1948... Uh, this is, I'll provide a little bit of background, but this is the next and the last thing that Jack does in the war. And this is not World War II, obviously, but at, at the end of the British mandate in Palestine, uh, Jack goes um, to Palestine to serve with his regiment there. Now, to give you some context, of course, after World War II, the United Nations decides to make Israel a sovereign state and relocate the Jews there in, in that, that time. And what happens, though, is at the time, the reason they were able to do that is because Great Britain owned that territory. But of course, when they relocate all the Jews, there's a whole complex mix going on between Arabs and Jews within Palestine. And Britain said that they were going to pull out and their British mandate would end um, around April of that year. And so Jack was sent in there to help kind of tie things up with troops that England had at the time. So and eventually like a, they were pulling out. So right? he was like a diplomat or something? No, no. He was, he was still a part of, of his, his regiment from Scotland. Um, and he had his troops there. They were doing military stuff. But Britain was basically on the verge of pulling out, and they kind of have taken a neutrality stance. So Jack actually was under orders at this time while he was there to not get involved in any, any of the conflict. I mean, it was like, you can't attack or defend the Arabs. You can't attack or defend the Jews. We're just pulling out. You're just here to make things, make sure things go smoothly. That was kind of the stuff that he was doing, you know, like transferring envoys back mm -hmm. and forth. He was helping get, at one point he helped oh, get yeah. a hospital evacuated, that kind of stuff. But it's kind of like a peacekeeping unit. Mm -hmm. Kind of. Yeah. And that's what was happening at this time when, when Great Britain was pulling out. But on April 13th, there's a convoy of Jews going to a hospital called the Hadassah hospital. And they're ambushed all of a sudden by a heavy, um, or by an Arab force that's just shooting them from all sides. And so they're getting completely shut down by this ambush. And Jack had his regiment nearby. And so apparently he goes and tries to investigate what's going on. And again, this is according to Jack. And there are other witnesses, I'm assuming, that have collaborated this. But he walks up by himself alone up to the Jewish convoy that's under fire. And he does this and is not shot once. So essentially, I'll explain to you what he, what he says. So he says, as I was walking along, swinging my blackthorn walking stick, I grinned like mad from side to side, as people are less likely to shoot if you smile at them. Of course, having, <laughs> having come straight off a battalion parade, I was very dressed up in a Gengary tunic, Sam, Sam Brown belt, but no claymore, worse luck, kilt, <laughs> hair sporin and red and white diced hose, and white spats. This outfit in the middle of the battle, together with my grinning at them, may have made the Arabs laugh because most of them have a good sense of humor. Anyway, they didn't shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes up with the blackthorn stick and smiles at these guys. He walks up and they don't shoot him. I think we've just learned the secret to good self-defense right here. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> just smile like it's a madman. <laughs> it's amazing. I, and so he walks up, and this is a really sad story, but he walks up and he tries to convince the Jews in these, uh, in these vehicles to get out because he had his own armored vehicle nearby and he had a couple mm. troops that went with him to try to get these people out and get them to safety. But the people continually refused to get out because they were like, no, you just, you're just you not going to be able to help us. We have Jewish forces coming. They'll be able to protect us. And so time and time again, they adamantly refused his aid. And so Jack eventually has to pull out because he loses one of his soldiers and mm. they get out. But unfortunately, the troops never arrived to save the convoy. Mm. And so 77 people were lost in that event. Oh. And they were killed. And this was a big deal because mm. um, Jack kind of got a little bit in trouble because Britain was saying, no, we need to get out of this. This is not our business anymore. But Jack was kind of going against orders like, no, we need to save these people. So that was a pretty traumatic experience. But later in that same year, Churchill did assist in the evacuation of the Hadassah Hospital. And he helped them get out of there as tensions continued to rise. And he helped save over 500 medical staff and patients get out of danger and into safety. So wow. uh, that, was a big, that was a big thing he got to do later, which I'm sure um, he was really happy to finally be able to do. But yeah. again, just kind of shows the crazy things that he would do, willing to walk out in the middle of fire to potentially save somebody. So yeah, that, that was his last and final military adventure. That was uh, wow. up until wow. 1953. So, so he survived all the way through <laughs> the war, everything. Yep, he survived um, every single one of those events. Wow. And in 1953, he eventually leaves and goes to Australia becomes a military instructor for a time. And while he was there, he picked up surfing. 
Wow. <laughs> loved it. Absolutely loved surfing. Gee, this of course, did he backpipe while he surfed? Like, that would be <laughs> the ultimate. <laughs> just gets on there, just play it. <laughs> just goes for it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so he actually designed his own boards. Like, he really got into it. He wow. surfed a ton. And <laughs> in 1954, he returns to England, and he actually completed the very first surfing run over the River Severn's five feet tidal bore. Oh, wow. And he took a keen interest in steamboats and remote-controlled model ships, and he just loved anything to do with, like, you know, boats and aquatic and sports. Yeah. Dude. And, uh, Dude. yeah, but after this, there really isn't much. He kind of fades from public life, and he doesn't hmm. really live in a way that would suggest that he's, um... Like, you know. he's not a thrill-seeker anymore <laughs> after that. Okay, well, um, I say that, but... Almost. So when he, he eventually in 1959 retired from the military and he of course ended with two distinguished service orders and a military cross. And he just lived as an instructor for the rest of his life. And he had two sons, uh, but he also still in his old age took part in motorcycle speed trials. <laughs> Wait, once, like, like testing yeah, motorcycles like or he, something? He would go fast, man. Like he, Dude. he wasn't messing around. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he did stuff like that. One, one story I love about Churchill in his old age is that when he would go home on the train, he would open a window and throw out his briefcase <laughs> onto this yard. And people would be like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> and he would get to the train station and he'd later tell people that he threw it into his yard as he passed it. And then he'd get to the train station so he could walk back home without having to carry his briefcase. <laughs> and I, I think Lol. this event kind troll. of it kind of encapsulates... The mindset of Churchill, wait, right? Wait, wait. Because he, I mean, think about it. Like, so I, I want somebody to calculate, like, how accurate you can be throwing a briefcase out of a moving train. <laughs> <laughs> like, can we well, do the obviously. math on that? Well, here's what I'm thinking, right? Like, Churchill did insane, crazy things, but he always had a reason. You know, there was a reason in all of it. But anyway, so, wow. uh, again, Churchill lived a long and uh, fulfilled life. He died in 1996 at the age of 89. Wow. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, that, that, that is the story of, of Mad Jack Churchill, my friends. That's and, incredible. Wow, that's insane. Can you imagine? What, a, what like, a man. What an absolute mad lad. I mean, yeah. <laughs> using a bow in World War II and just... Riding a motorcycle everywhere. <laughs> Hitting a water buffalo. Running away from them. <laughs> yeah. uh, honestly, I think we all need to reflect on what are the water buffalo in our lives. <laughs> was, it, was it the water buffalo that led him to do the rest of the things in his life? We'll I never think know. so. We'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, thank you guys for listening, and I uh, hope you enjoyed yeah. learning about Mad Jack Churchill today. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. What a... What a guy. What a way to start. <laughs> yeah, so first episode. Wow, what do you guys think? Like, geez. Yeah, that I mean, sets it's gonna the be standard time, man. Yeah, I think it's gonna be hard to like find people at least as interesting <laughs> as <laughs> this guy. Like he's Seriously. just he's just so interesting. Um so uh yeah, everybody, so uh, stay tuned. Uh in a couple of weeks we'll have another episode out. And we're gonna probably change up kind of the subject matter, probably not always have to do with wars or that kind of thing but it might have to do with medical achievements or scientific achievements or something like that um, and we'll try to make it kind of diverse as well mm -hmm. but yeah thanks james for doing all that research wow that's yeah, a lot you. Yeah, my pleasure loved it yeah um so at this point uh we're gonna get to work on writing a song about jack churchill so that he can be a sung hero officially that's right um so uh, thank you all for, for tuning in. And uh, right after this, we'll go ahead and play the song for you guys so you guys can enjoy that. But uh, yeah, keep, uh, keep in tune for updates and everything. What do, you, what do you guys think, Sam, Dan? What do you guys think? Stay away from water buffalo. Yeah, seriously. I think that's, <laughs> yeah. I think that's the, the wrap up right there. Yeah, yeah for that's sure. The lesson yeah. for us all. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. All right, bye. Bye. Riding atop his iron steed, armed with sword and bow. Witness the man who can't be stopped except by buffalo. Commando by day, model by night, his troops he did inspire. Whene'er he found a shipwrecked shore, his clothes were not required. So tarry not and hold to hope, press on with your attack. 
the distant pipes grow stronger still behold the brave mad jack the man who knew no fear mad jack wore kilts and piped with cheers sword and bow and at his foes behold the brave mad jack And hold to hope, press on with your attack The distant pipes grow stronger still Behold the brave Mad Jack The man who knew no fear Mad Jack Wore kilts and piped with cheers Sword and bow aimed at his foes Behold the brave Mad Jack Mad Jack The man could not be caged Mad Jack will fight where war is Forty-two by swords of 